the work week, am I right? But do you know what would make it a little bit better? Doing church on a Sunday and then listening to a podcast about the sermon. Welcome to the Post-Sunday Blues, a preaching post-mortem, a production of Liberty Church Collingswood. Each week we'll spend some time unpacking Sunday sermonics, and we hope that you'll be able to connect a little deeper with the message and the messenger. It's a win, if we can make your work week a little less blue. House lights down. Welcome to the post-Sunday blues of preaching post-mortem. Nailed it. Yeah, you with the grin over there. Um, I'm here. I'm Emily Anger, wife of the lead harmonica player for Liberty Collingswood. That's right. And I can't tell you how satisfying it is for one spouse to correctly speak the title of one's podcast. I mean, you came up with this like really obtuse name and all these You were going like, to say it's weren't you? <laughs> These random headings that only have meaning to you. I, I, house lights down is a thing, so I, I can I can do that one. Audience of one. Yeah. Um, Myself. No, so you were introduced as lead harmonica player. I don't know if you noticed that. I I may have. Your st- <laughs> your harmonic stylings. I was expecting the kids to have something snarky to say, but really, like everyone was kind of bleary eyed. I don't know why. <laughs> I I harp them into submission. I'm sure. Yeah, or daylight savings time. Yes. <laughs> Everyone was half asleep. You usually probably have the audience half asleep in visual lines, but you didn't have that this week. No, no, it's so. different. Well, we will be regathering for Sunday in May, so right. bring me your bleary okay. masses, and yeah. we'll get back to some reassembled worship. That'll yeah. be great. So you, uh, yeah, you sauntered in as the lead harmonica player. Why? I am kind of curious about you um, explaining to the audience what what speaks to you about the harmonica (laughs) (laughs) uh so so the great thing about the harmonica is it's more portable than a piano and also can fit into any context so my standard line here baby is that uh i decided years ago instead of just being yet another mediocre guitar player i would instead concentrate on being a mediocre harmonica player the difference being that whenever i show up for jam session or offer to play at church i'm the only harmonica player in the room 99 out of 100 times and therefore the best it feels great yeah you were letting the cat out of the bag now you're going to have all this competition people rising up well i said at the intro to the sermon right when i was getting started that uh, we are not accepting applications for additional harmonica players at liberty college <laughs> josiah has been working on it he got a he, he got the whole got the rack yeah the rack where he can play guitar the those players who can play guitar and do harmonica those are really impressive to me uh, they're okay <laughs> <laughs> you were like, I didn't prepare for this introduction. <laughs> I, yeah. I'm always ready. Semper paratus gotcha. harmonicus. No. Uh, we'll get to the next section. Call it Stormy Monday, which is the uh, heart and soul of this this um, podcast, really. Kind of figuring out the deep interworkings of your brain and yeah. how all this cooks up. Um, yeah, it, it, we have to jump into something deeper. So I, yeah, I started light with the harmonica, but we're once again um, facing a more serious issue with mm-hmm. the subject of um, race, racism, lament um, during the season of Lent. Um, yeah. What about this sermon? What What were you burdened to um, to to see God do this round? So this sermon was the big one. Uh, I'm sure that all of the people listening to sermons and watching them at Liberty Collingswood will appreciate the chiastic structure of 
this particular sermon series. Okay, chiastic. Right. It's like a sandwich. You have the outside layers in mirror form, and then you're getting towards the center. So I think this is the central message of the sermon series where I wanted to really land some weight. And going into this one, if Galatians chapter 6 talks about bearing each other's burdens, uh, so far in the sermon series we've been talking about loving one another. Uh, Jesus, that one of the two greatest commandments as the basis of engaging topics of racism and systemic injustice. What I've been wanting us to do this whole series, and I was glad that we finally got here this past Sunday, moving from loving one another to bearing each other's burdens uh, so that we, not just people of color, not just minority Christians, but even in majority culture, that we would take on some weight as it relates to racism. Right. And, you know, the question that you have as the our outline is, mm-hmm. what was God doing in you last week as it relates to the sermon? But I know that you've been praying and thinking about this topic for more than a week. Yeah. And I am feeling the weight of this sermon series. I, I mentioned during the sermon, and then went back and qualified it later on, hey, it'll feel nice to move on from this sermon series just because it is weighty topics week after week. I qualified it later on saying, well, that's a point of privilege for somebody that can say that I don't want to talk about this anymore. Well, it's not that I don't want to talk about it. I'm just feeling, I would feel relief to to move on. But that's a point of privilege because people of color can't move past these sorts of things because it's it's in your skin and, and it's a lived reality every day. But if the series in general has been weighty and I've been thinking and praying about it for a long time, uh, this was the sermon where I wanted to start landing the plane and doubling down on people truly empathizing with those that have struggled under the heel of racism and asking in a bigger way, where do we go from here? Yeah, and that's a, those are big questions because I, a lot of us um, have been contemplating this. I mean, for me, it's been all of my life, college onward, um, but for the the fresher um, immediate past since last summer, mm-hmm. there have been a lot of things to think about. I think that this extended time of reflection upon race, racism, um, and connecting them to the to the concept of mourning, um, yeah, there, there's something there's something to be said about sitting there for a while. So, what what is the sitting process um, revealing for you? The process of sitting with these things uh, is developing my own scope of empathy uh, for these issues and, and the amount of, of suffering. And I think it's appropriate, or I, this wasn't necessarily front and center in my mind when I said months ago that we would be devoting Lent to these subjects, but I do think that there is a really important liturgical connection here. Sure. And I don't know, I think there's something biblical about the whole 40 days thing. So we're we're thinking about these things in a very direct way for 40 days so that we can feel it. Uh, systemic injustice is longstanding in our country, and so we want to feel the, feel the burn. Um, this is not just a sprinting through a couple of subjects with a couple of sermons, but, but staying here. And by this point in the sermon series, I hope that I've built enough of a case for the reality of systemic injustice. Not that it's only my voice and you know people at church are reading, talking, listening to a ton of different things. So it's not only 
my voice for half an hour on Sunday morning, but, but understanding that systemic injustice is a thing, both with the history of our country and also the Bible comprehends these things too. God critiques those who frame injustice by statute and then building as well to assuming a posture of corporate responsibility towards racism in our church. Right. It, it does feel like an important call. And I, I like that you've connected it to this, the season of Lent. I think from the summer, um, it felt like um, these issues were heavy upon us. And um, for some people, it just got lost in the like, just moving through fall and winter. And to have to sit with um, these topics, even as pandemic is upon us, mm -hmm. it's just a, it's kind of a, um, it's a darker time, but it does match with that, that season of Lent um, in the church liturgy. So I appreciate that. Uh, and then even at a practical level, um, we did get some pushback and I understood it last summer, hey, why aren't we stopping everything at church just to focus on this right, right now? One of the reasons I said, hey, let's let's talk about it. Let's keep it on the on the burner. And it was referenced George Floyd and aftermath, I think, pretty much every Sunday throughout 2020 in one way or another, including during sermons. Uh, but I needed time to read and reflect and listen myself. So like right. I, I wasn't ready to jump into a series like this. I probably had maybe one or two classes, not semesters long classes mm -hmm. but one or two class periods about racism and racial issues in seminary so i've needed to build my own communication knowledge base and toolbox when it comes to racism in our country right and for me particularly i think that um my heartbeat was really for racial justice issues when i was in college and right after college um I see that, like, I think I've talked about that in the podcast. I see that idealism in our kids now mm -hmm. as they're approaching that age. And there is part of me that has reached the, like, midlife crisis kind of jaded sense of um, forgetting that um, that level of, of passion for justice. I think mm -hmm. that is important. And I've, I have, even though I haven't... Um, 100% lost it it's good to have to take some time to think about it so I think yeah, it's to good to rekindle right it's a good call for our church body whether you're coming from um, whether you're coming from a position of having thought about it a long time or a position of hey this is new I really haven't done the deep dive that it's good to make it more than just a one Sunday thing Right, and a personal history, Jim and Emily thing here, Garden of Forking Paths. We were in college in New Hampshire together, moved to Philly. I was going to seminary way out in the suburbs. You were going to Penn in the city. And we talked, where are we going to live? Are we going to live closer to the right. seminary, way out in the boonies, or in the city? And I was a strong advocate for suburbs, mm -hmm. uh, just like my childhood. Suburbs are nice. There's a Chili's around the corner and everything that you need in big box store land over here. Let's do suburbs. It'll be great. And I didn't really have any sense of responsibility or engagement with issues of injustice or race at that point. But you were the one that felt very strongly, no, if we're going to be people that believe the gospel, we need to be engaged with these issues, engaged uh, and fluent in how the gospel relates to serving the poor, etc. So you gave a strong push to our moving into the city which I was deeply reluctant to do, right. but it was for the best. And maybe 2021, we're not preaching. I'm not preaching a sermon series on these things if we had decided to stay in the burbs way back when. Yeah, I think that that time period, um, we can 
we'll allude to it later, possibly. But West Philly is like this place where um, people of all uh, race, races, of ethnicity, um, socioeconomic class, uh, educational background, they all kind of meld together. And you do have to, you're confronted with um, inequity, you're confronted with ra racism and how your own heart is interpreting interacting with your neighbors so it was a good um kind of ground to to become a human in so it's, yeah. yeah it was good uh miss west philly days um anyways let's move on we've been talking about this for a while um specifically what what tell us more about this bible passage from sunday as we come to the bb king J king james version um you you what was this passage you selected and why Key to the passage, and um, or not that we need to go down this rabbit hole too in terms of personal history, this was a Craig Parker passage, oh. our campus minister, when we were in college together. So bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Uh, it's a paradox here where Paul to the Galatian church is saying to people individually, you need to bear your own burdens and you need to bear the burdens of others as well. Uh, I love the image of, of bearing burdens, especially in connection with, with injustice and, and racism. Ta-Nehisi Coates, an uh, author who's talked a lot about black experience in this country, specifically speaks to the toll that injustice has taken upon black bodies in very literal ways. So there's burden bearing there. and. As majority culture Christians, uh, those of us who are majority Christians at Liberty Collingswood, we need to even physically bear burdens of others in deeper ways. And so front and center in this passage, we need to carry weight together, uh, brothers and sisters in Christ. And I'm, I've always been intrigued by the paradox too, like take care of your own stuff, mm -hmm. bear your own stuff. Uh, but it's not enough just to bear your own stuff. Our previous sermon series to this, Get Off Your Island, doesn't really matter if you have a pristine island that you've cultivated for yourself and by yourself with no reference to other people. We're not living out what Jesus calls us to do if we're not truly carrying weight for others. Right, and I kind of, um, it rubs against the American idealism of uh, individualism and Sure. You know, you do what you can to survive yourself. You don't, um, maybe if you have some extra to spare, you'll throw some something someone else's way. But, mm -hmm. but the call to Christianity to, to truly bear someone else's burdens, that's a different call than like help someone out every once in a while if you have some extra. Um, that's taking out on someone else's load. And um, yeah, you used a powerful illustration from the beginning, from your days in high school even. Yeah. Um, you were a star basketball player. I was a star mascot. <laughs> you told me to say that, right? The <laughs> like, for sure. Uh, height of your the basketball shrine in um, Jim's parents' house. There's a oh, yes. there's a whole closet devoted to um, Jim basketball and other sports memorabilia. How do you how do you even say that? Memorabilia. Um, Swag in the pink closet. Right. <laughs> My parents were such great sports parents. It, 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 it was awesome. Yeah. Do you, do you want me to recount those stories real quick, baby? Sure. Or I was thinking about it in light of this passage, specifically the idea mm -hmm. that um, you can't carry someone's burdens if you don't know them, if you're not with them. So part of the 
um, part of the call of the church to like to know to know and carry other people's burdens means to to know and be interacting with connects to the community yeah sermon series from before yep but um moving on or yeah what else did you find uh interesting or challenging about this passage challenging to make people feel the weight of it and that's what i was trying to do both in terms of expositing the passage itself but sure. also as we muddy the waters at this point i was hoping that there will at least have been some people journeying on in the sermon series uh, that have turned the corner and are saying beginning to say i'm here i get it what do i do so wanted to tie empathy to action sure so that we're not just feeling empathy although i talked a good bit about that too but okay we have this empathy where where do we go from here now what uh, reconnected it back to jesus uh, emphasized his empathy for us all the way to and through the cross and also tried to make it clear for people that we can't pick and choose what what burdens to bear for other people and not there is a quote from the mark Rogo book by a person named hb charles jr that i referenced in the sermon the bible calls us to weep with those who weep it doesn't tell us to judge whether they should be weeping right and so it's not for us to say for somebody that's struggling under racism and injustice hey i don't think that's a thing and so I prefer to bear other burdens besides this one. And so it's it, it's not my job as a preacher to manipulate people into different corners and worldviews. Uh, but hopefully by this point, there is some Holy Spirit pressure upon people to say, hey, if I'm really not going to be on board with acknowledging and bearing weight for racism and systemic injustice, I really have to double down into some pretty polarized positions here right. uh, because I think there is a real gospel sweet spot when it comes to bearing one another's burdens. And so I, I was saving the stories, this whole sermon series about playing basketball when uh, there was a kid, Brandon, otherwise really, really nice guy, but hazed me a little bit in the hotel room by not letting me use water for toothbrushing. And, and showering or anything like that, which graphically illustrated to me the question, what has he endured over the years that it, that's pressed him in this direction? Right. And then being in a restaurant with my, and on, on this basketball team, I was the only white kid, to actually be sitting with a group of 12 or so black kids in a little Southern cafe and not being served. Right. So it's one thing to read about it in history books. It's another thing for me to experience it. And yeah, I hope those stories put some human faces on these things that we're talking about, sometimes quite conceptually. Great. Um, I think that concept, it, it made me think again to some of our, our West Fellow days. And um, I taught middle school students. There were mixed race or mm -hmm. not specifically mixed race, but they came from a wide range of um, racial background and socioeconomic background. And the stories of um, that, that the kids were bringing, bringing to our, when we were covering social studies and um, American history revolving around race, there were some um, extremely real and like the, the things about um, walking into a store and knowing that 
a shop owner is like has eagle eyes on you even right. though you're Being this tailed. you're actually a pretty good church kid who like is going to a christian school because your parents like right like have you on a, a like a really great path like character building and all yeah. of this but you are assumed to be a, a thug um, right. the, kind of the mental burden that comes with that i kind of think um this call to carry each other's burdens um to bear one another's burdens like what you're saying um regardless of the judgment behind it i i would I think that that solution of like, are you surrounding yourself with people who um, are sharing sharing these burdens openly? Could you can you really like um, speak to someone who's a friend and um, say you know you should move past racism because that that was like a hundred years ago and that's right. not you you weren't a slave so they're like why does why does slavery affect you so much like can you can you. <laughs> I think that if you're actually in community with someone and that person is suffering, um, even the microaggression type mm -hmm. racism, um, I don't think that you can say that to them directly to their face in a, in a Christian yeah. way. Yeah. So similarly, when Courtney and Uvi were talking a couple Sundays ago at church, like they're having to have the talk with their own right. children in different ways uh, because these things are ongoing. I also wanted to... I was pretty intentional intentional about including the letter that this Texan pastor yeah. received, Dwight McKissick, right. um, when he's struggling with the Southern Baptist Convention right now. And I was a little hesitant, like I don't want to air dirty laundry about... Another denomination. Yeah, another church, another denomination. Uh, but when I actually saw... So there are some news articles written that were talking about this letter that Dwight McKissick had received that was virulently racist. I kept clicking through. It was tough, a little tough for me to find. It was referenced mm -hmm. a lot. But finally, through the magic of the internet, I saw a tweet that had a picture of the letter itself. And it was so horrifyingly retrograde that it was not a microaggression. <laughs> no, it was a macroaggression, and it swung in the direction of like, yeah, I'm going to read excerpts from this racist letter to emphasize again that these are tragically live issues that people are right. facing. And that's why we as majority culture Christians need to lend our voices to these things. Right. Our, I mentioned during the sermon, our brothers and sisters of color need to hear us. Right, so it, it was a difficult thing to to try to engage, but I think super important. Um, yeah, so moving on to bar band cover tunes, uh, the specific references that you mentioned. Right, so already talked about Dwight McKissick and the letter that he received. Also, speaking of lending our voices towards the end of the sermon, I mentioned from the Weep With Me book, Mark Vrogup, Silence can become a passive weapon of superiority, at least as far as I've read, listened, something pretty consistently that I'm hearing as far as advice and coaching to majority culture church leaders is that they need to hear us lending our voices to these things in non-surface or non-token ways. Uh, I hope we're doing that right now at Liberty Collingswood. And then also was interested to once again, with a book that I'm currently reading, See Connections uh, Between Fiction and 
sermons, which I enjoy. So I pulled a quote from Swing Time by Zadie Smith. I, I was telling somebody recently, I, I think I'm becoming a Zadie Smith homer. So yeah. there is there's a small list of authors where I just kind of read everything that they've done. And Zadie Smith is on her way to finding herself in that category. So this is a social activist mother in the 1980s in London talking to her daughter and her daughter's friend about issues of racism and poverty at that point in London. People are not poor because they've made bad choices, my mother liked to say. They make bad choices because they're poor. So first I qualified it and said, we do, whether we find ourselves rich or poor, no matter the color of our skin, uh, need to make good choices and uh, obedient choices uh, to God. Uh, but then there's this whole huge structural piece, and I thought that quote encapsulated it well. Uh, in oversimplified terms, they make bad choices because they're poor, uh, not to infantilize people that are struggling with poverty, but just to say that the optionality of good choices and good outcomes is so much smaller. So I enjoyed sticking that quote in just to be able to, in a pithy way, illustrate a lot of what I've been trying to do as it relates to systemic injustice. Sure. These are topics that I think require some like sitting in. um, And so that even that quote, um, people make bad choices because they are poor. Like, I, I feel like your brain could, like, operate where it tries to pick it apart or tries to pick apart the different case scenarios where that's not true. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that the more that you read about both the individual stories of individual lived lives and then if you want to look zoom out and look at statistics, um, it's, it's hard to walk away without... Um, feeling like we need to, to have empathy for it. And that's the call of scripture too, right? To yeah. um, consider consider the poor and the weak and um, orphan and widow. Right. So. Yeah. And along those same lines, I included a quote by a black pastor named Mike Edmondson talking about how empathy means that you carry the weight when other kids are suffering besides your own. That was actually a bigger section also from the Mark Rogoff book, but churches have done a thought experiment with Mike Edmondson. So he does this thing where he talks about how his wife doesn't want him to go to Walmart after dark because the color of his skin. And when he unpacks it, he gives lots of emotional reasons about how hard that is. And he's somebody with multiple degrees, Mm -hmm. uh, established pastor in his community. But, you know, when you walk into Walmart, people don't realize that. But then he also included statistics about incarceration rates, brutality rates, arrests, and that sort of thing. And the thought experiment was, speaking to majority culture people, when you hear that couple of paragraphs from Micah Edmondson, are you running first to the statistics to interrogate them as true or not, trying to find fault in the statistics without feeling the weight of somebody that can't go to Walmart yeah, because he's a person of color and wanting people to... uh, feel that burden and then move towards thinking about it in structural and conceptual ways and not vice versa. Right, right. Um, Another reference you had was to one of our podcast listeners, right? Oh, yeah. John (laughs) Travis got a big shout out. I did ask his permission, but once again, we dropped into the text a podcast and a book that John recommended. So he was a Howlin' Wolf last week, and I said that in this 
this is synergy. <laughs> let, let me let me mansplain synergy to our listeners right now. It's when things go the way that I want them to go. That's synergy. And so Helen Wolf last week, John wrote a nice email and then referenced it in the sermon. And then we're back to the podcast. Yeah. So you see what we did there. Right. He, he wrote a really uh, thoughtful, thoughtful email that you, you read um, part of or half of last week and then uh, had recommended a podcast and book. I need to we need to get on actually reading and listening to that podcast. Actually. Yeah, we need to. One of the thoughts that I had, I, I'm not sure we'll get to it, but. If there's a Helen Wolf out there that w- would want to take on this project, let me know. I've gotten so many recommendations of books, podcasts, resources, and I hear from people at church all of the things that they're reading and listening to. It'd be great to have a little bit of a bibliography coming out of this sermon series, like a resource library for things that people have found helpful. And one of the continuing blessed surprises for me of the sermon series um, is seeing how the scriptures continue to speak to racism and systemic injustice in deep ways, including a verse that has been very familiar with me for a lot of years, but I never saw the connection between it and racism. So Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4, what do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Now, Mm -hmm. this is a fairly famous verse as it relates to reformed soteriology sure. big phrase so doctrine of salvation as it's understood in the western church via the reformation saint augustine way back in the late 300s early 400s this is one of his favorite verses that he used in talking about how salvation is by grace and grace alone from first to last what do you have that you haven't received god's given you everything and that that means that like salvation that you have was earned by jesus and not by you But I went back and connected that verse in my mind to the defensiveness that I felt when I was younger about my dad, which I began the sermon series with, when talk about racism and systemic injustice, in my mind, created this push and pull zero sum game that like you're taking all of this stuff away from my dad because he earned so much as a poor white farmer and was a self-made man in so many different ways. But even for what my dad has achieved, if we truly recognize that there is a God of the universe who gives good gifts to his children and that any good we have in our lives comes from God anyway, even in terms of the power, the privilege, the resources, the capital that we have accrued as individuals, including majority culture, the gospel still comes to us and asks, what do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as it? as if you did not receive it. So if earlier on we're talking about how Christians should not be defensive in having these conversations, on one hand because of total depravity, where, hey, the Bible says that we're completely messed up and sinful anyway, so why should we be surprised that racism is is a thing and not want to talk about it? That's just filling in the fine print about the overall brokenness of humanity. But the flip side of that is not just the sinfulness of human beings, but the graciousness of God to us, where everything we have, we've received anyway. Right. Um, yeah, that's a, that, that's a good thing to um, end on, I think, in your sermon and um, the concept of being called to action as we sit in this place of lament to recognize the, the things that we've been given and to think mm-hmm. about ways we can um, 
bestow gifts upon others. Yeah. If it's good. Um, last section, or not last, but almost last section, Guitar Slim Pickens. Were there any stories that you may have wished that you had added in, that you, like anything you cut out, wished you could redo? Yeah, a couple of Pickens here and there. Yeah. So so the Micah Edmondson piece was a lot bigger, the thought experiment about going into Walmart. I shortened it, and always when I have a bigger piece that I keep in, but a lot shorter, there's part of me that wonders, is this going to make any sense or does it need more more context and more time? I just decided to, to go for it. Although editing has been taking a lot longer with these sermons because there's been months of specific and intentional reading right. and preparation about these things. And I feel the I feel the burden of only having a few minutes to try to get a limited the whole number story of in. Sundays. Yeah, right. to get the whole thing to get the whole thing in. And so then you built a movie series that Right. In the <laughs> LCU, the, yeah. the Liberty Church universe, as John Travis was talking about yesterday. Good uh, thing someone else didn't try to take your edits and make them into one big movie that was not authorized by you. Is, is that like a Snyder Cut reference yeah. right there? Oh, that's great. Yeah, in a parallel universe, there are Snyder Cuts of my sermons that are Frankenstein monsters put back together to redress all of the problems in my sermons but that would be still your, not very that would good. be your personal hell <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that would be one of them yes so cut down the Edmondson piece went back and forth about talking about Dwight McKissick yeah like was was reading that letter from from this author the the racist letter did that feel like too much or appropriate given the um I think that was powerful like I I think that um and then you were talking about silence being a passive um affirmation of things like that yeah. like if if someone writes something that egregious and um and you just stay silent that means that you're beholden to something other than justice and mercy yeah and so another part that i mentioned very briefly i think it originated with the new york times but starting in 2016 uh, the times wrote this big article about the quiet exodus from majority culture churches in our country where people of color increasingly felt unsafe, unprotected, right. undervoiced in so many different churches. And it's a whole fascinating recent history in sociology there. I just mentioned it briefly, but you can feel free to be, be fruitful in Spotify if you want to do listening on, on Quiet Exodus. Also, guitar slim pickings. My theology nerd loved being able to end the sermon with theological Latin. So, Pactum Salutis. Yeah, I, I looked around at the kids at that point, thinking that they were going to, you know, come up with something snarky. But really, all of them were so, like, they were dazed by that point. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we are feeling the, the nuclear winter of having been socially distanced for so long, the year anniversary, even we are, yeah, I'm, I'm losing people over the online well, church, yeah, da, maybe. Da, yeah, dad and Latin usually would have gotten something from them. <laughs> <laughs> Indifference is worse than yeah. anger. That I'm so hurt right now. <laughs> but it was good for me, Pactum Salutis, going back, and it's fun to trace fault lines of racism back to the heart of the gospel last guitar slim pickings for me baby one of the places where i had a basketball tournament in my travel basketball years the was knoxville the, knoxville well there was shreveport there was alexandria i have a, I have a nickname for shreveport that i was not able to say 
on Sunday morning, nor should I probably say it on this podcast too. Howlin' Wolves, if you want to know what it is, just give me an email and I'll give you the full Shreveport download and all of its glory. But I did play a basketball tournament in Knoxville, Tennessee, the home of Eric and Carrie Mitchell. Yeah. So, so I had this uh, Mitchell jag during the introduction. You cut it. I cut it. <laughs> Eric, buddy, I know how you would have loved to have been given a shout out randomly about Jumanger playing basketball in your town when you were a five-year-old. I'll work that in another time. <laughs> or it's just right here where nobody's listening to the end of the surf of this podcast. He might not Come even be on. Um, if you did hear that reference and you want to know, um, our last section is Encore. We always, we do like to hear from you. I've heard from um, people um, parenthetically, like they haven't directly written into the podcast, but mm-hmm. they're, they're talking about it. So I appreciate that. Yeah, I had a good conversation with a guy last night on the phone. I will leave him anonymous, but count him as a Howlin' Wolf who's saying that this Lenten series has been a genuine point of growth and change for him somebody that hadn't thought a lot about racial issues. George Floyd got his attention as it did for so many people last year, but was just talking about how this Lenten series for him is something that that's life altering in a good way, uh, connecting the scriptures uh, to this huge set of history and issues and wants to keep learning, keep changing Uh, keep doing more, uh, thinking about how he engages with his vocation uh, to do that more justly. And like, that's what we want people to do. Keep connecting the dots in their own lives when it comes to these things. Right. That's awesome. That's, that's something I need to do too. Yeah. Yeah. It's good stuff. So um, we always do welcome those. We have our own email, which is postsundayblues at gmail.com yep and um i may or may not check those <laughs> i really have i i you i missed it yep anyways you can send your I emails the, there i check that inbox 28 times per day <laughs> just waiting <laughs> <laughs> I'm the main um, man yeah you can text text your individual thoughts to email our regular accounts yeah. also um we welcome feedback and thoughts and questions if you if you ever want to engage with a specific thing Jim mentions or that I mentioned um, want to hear more embarrassing stories from Jim's basketball days you are mm. welcome to ask anything yeah these are not just my basketball exploits but the main things the that you're talking about ones? these are <laughs> these are dialogue worthy topics and we welcome dialogue the as first such. time you played harmonica for me I feel like you were so excited to show off and I was just like <laughs> blink blink okay yeah it, it, it was before it was before I learned how to play blues harmonica, so it was just the two of us in your dorm room, <laughs> me sitting on a chair playing something like Oh Susanna right. I was like, uh, on harmonica great. by myself, no other accompaniment, no other music. You can't sing and play harmonica at the same times. I thought I was so sexy in that moment. Yeah, I was like, I can play the kazoo too. <laughs> <laughs> Thousands of harmonica players around the world just felt a pain in their heart, but that's okay. <laughs> Um, so yeah, if you want to know more about how to play harmonica, you can, um, message us Mm. also. I have plenty of advice for you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and with that, uh, thanks for listening guys. Uh, feel free to rate, review, subscribe. Um, but most of all for me, again, write into us, uh, ask us questions. I feel like that is the, the thing that helps us to know and recognize engagement from you guys. Yeah. 
hear what you're thinking. Okay, with that, um, how was it? That was amazing. Thanks so much for joining us. This has been the Post-Sunday Blues, a preaching post-mortem, a production of Liberty Collingswood. Go ahead, rate, review, and subscribe, and you can find all things Liberty Collingswood at libertycollingswood.org. No more Post-Sunday Blues. Here comes some pre-Sunday happy. school basketball player. Uh, <laughs> in college you loved see, watching me play intramurals yeah I loved it I was there every every time front row seats uh, yeah I didn't marry I did a sports my hair, wife did my hair up <laughs> just like yours now